0: I can't rationally explain it. I, I sort of talked a bit about it at a service I took on Sunday, and it's that I do believe in miracles, because I put those things down as miracles, because a miracle is something we just can't rationally and logically mm. explain. Mm.
1: Holding my head again, making my way through crowded thoughts. Sometimes it's hard to get out of it.
2: Hey everybody, welcome to this week's episode of Please Blow My Mind with Will Fleming. I am joined by, I guess my friend, because if you come on my podcast and we have these deep conversations, we might as well call each other friends, because friends talk, and on this podcast we talk, and friends listen, and so you out there listening, you are my friend too, and we are friends, because what else are we doing if we are not connecting deeply in this Digital collage that we call life. We definitely are friends. So I want to welcome you, and I also want to welcome this week's guest, Bruce Howard. Now, Bruce and I met through the power of not an algorithm, (laughs) not an app, feeling. Well, it kind of was an app if you think about you get people put in front of you on social media and I don't know how to explain it, but I. This might sound weird, but I've learned to trust an instinct, which is like a gut feeling. I want to talk to that person, is something to the effect of what I say. And Bruce is one of those people that I decided to read out to. And and he came over to the Please Blow My Mind studio to have a deep podcast about his story. He left me a copy of his book. It's called From Dog Collar to Dog Collar, and basically uh, we don't cover all of his life because there's too many chapters, physically, spiritually, mentally, to go through. I think we covered from memory until he's about uh, till he joins the police force, but that's probably where his book goes into because there's a there's a story. Let me just read you a little bit from the back of his book. New Zealander Bruce Howitt spent many years as a dog police dog handler until a tragic event ended this career his recovery from a stabbing attack and the effect it had upon his life is told with stunning honesty and courage and it's in that nature that um, well we dive deep into his story and and the ins and outs of life and it's totally um, a reflection of where I believe many of our journeys are. Where do we fit in this fantasy of life? It is a tricky one and one that uh, who knows if there's a real answer, but look, we'll, if, if there is, we'll find it together because that seems to be the only way we get things done is when we work together. So, yeah, I want to thank Bruce uh, for joining me on the podcast and telling a bit of his story, well, at least up to about the age of 20. And so we've got more um, podcasting to do together. Um, we are currently in the, the COVID lockdowns here in Aotearoa, here in New Zealand, and um, who knows when we will be able to catch up in physical form again. But uh, as in the tradition of this podcast, the people I meet just before the lockdowns come in um, they end up playing key roles in my thinking and my journey and so I want to like thumbs up to that and 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 this podcast goes a lot into this idea of um, mystery and what it means to have mysterious moments and it's not so easy in today's world of facts figures algorithms to kind of explain that so let's hope this is an entertaining but also enlightening um, conversation for us all. Just before we kick off with this week's podcast, I do want to give a small plug to the company that I and my friend Gareth run called Manava Breathing, M-A-N-A-V-A. Manava Breathing specializes in working with people on slow nasal breathing to bring functional breathing, meaning having a stronger respiratory system, but also to focus on the power of using breathing techniques to induce calm, especially during anxiety filled times. Now we do have a product that we are selling and I'd like to plug that quickly, so it's called MyoTape. MyoTape is a tape that gently wraps around your mouth to bring your lips together. And what this does is it promotes nasal breathing. And this happens, um, well, supposed to happen automatically, but in the modern world, we breathe a bit too quickly, we're a bit too anxiety filled. And we also, um, because of our modern diets and things are a bit easy, it's meant we don't have these strong jaws that are supposed to keep shut at night. And MyoTape supports you in this modern world to get that ancestral fix of slow nasal breathing. So MyoTape you can find by simply jumping on the Manava Breathing Instagram page and clicking on the Shopify link if you want to try out some MyoTape. So that'd be cool. You're supporting Kiwi. You're supporting local, and you're supporting this podcast and beyond. Okay team, let's get into this week's episode featuring the awesome Bruce Howard. Thank you brother for blowing my mind, and thank you all for blowing my mind.
1: Bringing out the fight, yeah, bring on all the lightning Cause I'm looking for a hero Look inside the mirror, I find Oh, carry the hurt when it gets too hard Pick it up, dust it off When I fall down 11, I get up 12 Don't need nobody else Yeah, I can save myself
2: Bruce, all the way, come to the studio to have a yarn What a privilege for me to host you, you You've got a story, my friend <laughs> got a few thousand
3: stories
2: (laughs) look um i guess i would like to just tell the audience a little bit about how we connected and it hasn't been that long that's the world we live in but i said to you when i first met you that i get a bit of a gut feeling when i um i don't know what it is like i want to talk to that person that's how i can articulate it but i've learned to trust that Yes. and I, I don't really understand what's going on there it feels a little <laughs> bit like well I don't know maybe we could talk about that in your story if, if there is these moments where you have to trust your gut but anyway you came over and we had a wonderful chat you know off camera and off microphone and um, you know just I guess have a mutual understanding that you know there's something there to be explored and uh, so I just want to thank you first of all man for taking a punt on a weirdo who sent, sent, a, <laughs> sent an both, email to you both weirdos sit on each chair I think <laughs> <laughs> but um, look I want to go right back to the beginning if you don't mind Where, whereabouts are you from originally that's a complicated story.
0: <laughs> <laughs> um, Dad was a home missionary at Owakuni. Mm. The home missionary was the church being its usual Scottish shelf and cheap because They are on a third of a minister's stipend, so it wasn't even cost a living. And he was stationed at Owakuni and mum uh, gave birth to me at Rārahi Hospital because that was the nearest hospital. Is that right? So my birth certificate states that I was born in Rārahi, but in reality I was only there a matter of a couple of days and the rest of it was in um, Owakuni. Uh But I was, I wouldn't have been many year old when we moved from there to Mangaree.
3: Right,
0: yeah. right. So... All well, I, I, I've been back to a a number of times and run here and there's nothing even rings a vague bell. Mm. Mum and mum had a photo of me sitting on some farmer's cow on the back in the snow and the snow was up to the knees almost to the cow and that was when I was a only a matter of months old baby. Is
2: that right? Yeah.
0: But I must have had some talents because no one was holding me and I was just sitting on this <laughs> thing. So <laughs> yeah. that, yeah, it started there. Yeah, yeah. it's awesome. And, and what was dad? Dad was a home missionary in the Presbyterian church. So the church has always had cheap schemes and they still have them nowadays where they call them lay preachers. Mm. But in those days, home missionaries had what were called remote stations Uh, they were places that were deemed to be isolated and removed rural rural places and when I trained for ministry myself I I researched the archives at Knox which I'd never recommended anyone to do up in a concrete room in Knox in the middle of winter and it's not in Dunedin and just not warm at any level that you know what the, the marrow of your bone feels like but I found in there the original General Assembly of the church's minutes mm. and it said that they were starting the scheme and they said they were not allowed to be stationed anywhere for more than three years for fear of the damage they would do and I was appalled at that because every home mission station that Dad went to it became a full parish because he'd grown it to that size when he left. Mm. And the church didn't recognize people doing that sort of is thing. Is that right? Yes.
2: Is, is that why you guys came up here to Auckland? Uh, did... Did Dad move like no? <laughs>
0: Mangere? It's hard to believe nowadays was a remote station.
2: Oh, true, it true. Was. But, you yeah, know, yeah. in, in and nineteen
0: fifty two, fifty three, mm. it was out in the literally in the Wops. and mm. I can remember getting in some car that Dad borrowed because he did everything on push bikes, and we drove into Green Street to Hobson Street, and we went to Farmers, mm. and it was the most exciting thing of my life. Going, was going to Farmers and going up one of the top floors where they had pedal cars and things like that. And I was just ecstatic at that, it was unbelievable. Mm. And when I shifted to Auckland in the early 90s, I went and drove past the little church that still exists at Mangere by the cemetery that really? Dad was the minister at. Nothing else is the same around there. Mm. But weirdly, I have a memory, and I talked about it with Mum a couple of years before she died, and she said it was a true, it was a true event that happened. They used to have TG motorbike races around uh, Mangere in those days. And we were down by the church watching the races, and one came flying through, and he failed to take the corner, went flying through the uh, graveyard, and crashed. And I remember that at a Bell, and I was only been about two at the time, <laughs> but I, I never forgot it. it was, yeah, it's, it's funny.
2: Weird, it's funny how we remember some of those things. It's eh? weird, actually. It, it's, it's kind of like makes you wonder, you know, what's getting locked in there, and and that stuff stays with you. And I, I guess. Well, I guess some of the science says that your brain's always looking for something to tell you if it's safe or not, right? So maybe there was... Yeah, a...
0: but there's also research now that says the brain holds more information than the biggest computer that's been invented yet. Mm. And we we really don't come close to understanding that And they say that as you get older, your long-term memory gets better. You do remember childhood things, but you forget short-term things like what you had for tea tonight. Mm. (laughs) And I do notice that as I'm getting younger, that that deterioration is slightly (laughs) starting to happen.
2: I remember exactly what I had for tea tonight, Bruce, because... I'm trying this diet, which is potatoes only.
0: Oh, crackies. <laughs> yeah,
2: I know. It's like
0: you, you'll be get diabetes like I've gotten. that's they put it
2: down to carbohydrates. No, no, no. But 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 it's the sugar and mixed in with all that stuff. So the reductionist approach, um, they reckon potato is this perfect food because it has vit- all the vitamins you need in it, but it has it's the little calories. So you eat till your guts full. How much Irish blood have you got in you?
0: <laughs>
3: I, I don't know.
0: Do, do I sound like I've got a little bit of well, the, potatoes? The, the Irish are obsessed with their potatoes. <laughs> ever, ever since the potato famine of whatever year it was. Yeah,
2: yeah. That's mm. it's, it's a bit nuts, but so am I. So, so, um, I guess what I'm interested is you talked about um, you know you guys being in these small towns and whatnot yes. and. Is it Would it be fair to say that the role your dad was playing was kind of like what, you know, today it's like Ministry of Health is in there with all of these different kind of... It's kind of like we've outsourced our well-being to the government. You know, they yes. have to look after everything from, you know, schooling to DM food to how do you feel about yourself mentally, physically, spiritually. And is that something that the churches kind of ran for communities?
0: Very much so. Right. The the churches had a major role and they were the hub of many communities. Mm. Um, People didn't go to church for um, religious reasons. Often they went for community. And in the rural farming community, that was the way the farmers could catch up because they didn't have telephones or any of that sort of technology. Mm. It was... Face to face stuff, and so by the time the motor car came in to vogue, that um, you know people would drive to church and catch up, and the service it would go on forever. It felt like most of the day.
2: But the church was okay with that, and I asked, meaning like they knew people were coming to catch up, like you weren't punished
0: or. Oh no, no one was punished yeah, for it. Yeah. It was. Uh, But, well, it was really interesting talking to Dad when he and going through his own last months of death when he was dying of cancer Mm. and about the church and the role of it back in his early years and Mm. that. And he said, most people actually came to the church because they liked you as a person, as a minister. And if they didn't like you, they just didn't come. Mm. And it was personality-driven to a huge extent. Right. Uh, And that's why some churches struggled because... uh, the Presbyterian Church and the Roman Catholic Church are the only two churches in, in New Zealand uh, that actually insist on university trained clergy so they want a level of intellectual grunt in there uh, and um, Dad I'll remember, forget at his funeral Laurie Hampton spoke and Laurie, Dad had put when he was over at Cooney put Laurie through for ministry training and Laurie became a moderator in the church and he had a law degree And when he spoke at Dad's funeral, he said what the church lost with people like Dad was they lost pastors who were only interested in the people. They weren't interested in highbrow religion or anything like that. Mm -hmm. They were just interested in the plain, simple potato and meat and gravy version of religion for the people.
2: So something like the chat we're having now. Yes. where it's like a. That's it's a, an
0: attempt to connect. Hundred percent. Look, Dad spent his ministry in the cow sheds helping the farmers milk cows. If the if the wife was sick or the farmer mm. himself was sick, Dad would just go in and do the farm work. He'd grown up on a farm. He was on the back of the haymaking truck. He was in the engines mm. of the machinery helping them repair them. He, it, it, that was his type of visiting people was just to get stuck in and help and yeah. and mum was the same she came off a farm so she'd be in the kitchen helping them bake for different things mm. so it was, it was a model that we've lost in huge extent of nowadays that sense of community
2: and, and we kind of haven't well maybe we haven't realised and grappled with what that really means
0: I agree before we came to work, a couple of moves before we were living at Teotu too, mm. I used to argue that community had now become the mall.
3: Mm. The
0: food courts and the mall were the place of being community because yeah. you know, that, that that was where people could meet up in any sort of size or volumes or anything, but it had no structure, it has no shape about it, and there's no recognition of you as a human being in there. Mm. It's just a, a convenient place where you can meet up with your friends over a a cup of coffee for most except me it's tea
3: but <laughs> it's
0: but, you know it, with it, no milk no milk exactly <laughs> I right, destroy the farming industry <laughs> but you know in the big cities trying to create community and that's the problem the major cities have mm. they can't actually Teatutu was cool because we we was only one way off and on so it had its own sort of community feel about it but everywhere else we lived out um, West Harbour when we first shifted to Auckland and I hated it we mm. We tried to invite our neighbors to meet them, and knocked on every door. no one would answer it. Mm. In the end, I put out invite never into a barbecue. I'd turn on the beer, the food and everything like that. And one neighbor came over because they felt sorry because they knew no one would turn up. Mm. And, that, and ironically, my oldest daughter was living with us at the time, and she ended up working for that lady. But you know that was this, and that we spent is it three years living in that house. And that was the only novel we got to
2: know. Mm. Yeah, it's it's not cool, eh? It's not. And, and I mean, I wonder, you know, and we can just kind of, I guess that's the freedom we have is we can talk about things and try and work out what's the go. But it makes me wonder, like, what is the go? Why are we like that? And is it an active thing or is this a symptom of what happens when life gets too busy? I think
0: it's a combination of a whole lot of factors, and it's easy to to, to simplify it, but it is a whole lot of factors. I think we've we've driven into a, a an urban culture. You and know, I grew up; it was a rural culture, might mm. for my world, mm. it was a r- rural culture. We've forced people into through economics into um, an urban culture. We haven't really done very good analysis, in my biased opinion, in New Zealand of the social costs of doing that. And so, you know, we're going for housing intensification and, you know, basically we're designing slums of the future, but we're just getting them built quickly and fast now. Mm. But in 20 years time, the social problems we will get as a result of that will be completely diminished. Now, I met a young woman here today in town. She's just set up her own business a couple of weeks ago. And um, I said, what brought you here? And she said, A, hey, I could get a rental business rental accommodation at a price I could afford. But as when I came and had a walk through the town and thinking about it, everybody was saying hello to me and I felt like a human being for yes. the first time. Yes, So we've still got it in this community. Mm. I fear because the um, council's um, urban development plan, within a decade, this this town will have grown tenfold in population. Yeah. And you just got to look around at the subdivisions out the back of the, mm. um, the college, that what's going in at Glenbrook uh, and there's ones going out on Pukekohe Road. There's huge projected growth for this town. Mm. Mm. And yet our infrastructure's not even close to geared up for it.
2: And it will be a, a kind of, a, well, it will be a, similar story in many other parts right yes. like like where you got this kind of hub which is the city and from there it just extrapolates out almost you know like like a spreading hey?
0: Well I did my high school in the he so it's as close as I come to a hometown because I spent the uh, uh, last term of form 1 and through the rest of my schooling years at he mm. so I sort of call that ho- hometown uh, and you go there now And you've got to have a million bucks in your pocket to walk in the town. And it was an old gold mining town when we were there, and you you buy a Bloomin' house for about 10 quid almost when we shifted there. And now it's a million dollars, and the township itself is no different in size to when I was there as a kid. (laughs) And yet they they've got more than tenfold population. Is
2: that right? So everything just leans on itself. And, yeah.
0: And we've yeah. Ne- we've never geared New Zealand for this speed of growth. Mm. Um, whether it's a good or healthy thing, you know, we can argue black and blue over mm. that. Uh, I I reminisce of the old days when you, you could you know, I used to ride a bike from Waihi through the um, Karangaheki Gorge to go to Pyra to work for a photographer on right? school holidays. Wow. And it was perfectly safe.
3: Mm.
0: I'd hate driving my car through there now for the danger. I know.
2: Yeah. <laughs>
0: yeah. That's, a, that's just
2: a change in one
0: lifetime. It's just...
2: So you guys were in Mangaree and then you moved down towards
0: Waihi? No, no. We went from Mangaree... Where the heck do we go after Mangaree? It's <laughs> a scratch in memory. <laughs> we went to Whokatane. Yep. Yes, we, so dad as well. Another three year move. Yeah, wait a minute. Let me get my, my calculations <laughs> here right. No, we went to, we went from Mungari to ha- was it to Mangere to Hamilton. No, it must have been to Fakatani because I started school at Fakatani, yeah. and then we shifted from there. Mum and dad because they abolished the home missionary scheme then, and dad was told he had to go to to university uh, to get qualified to go into the theological training. Mm. And um, so da- mum and dad went first to Whakatane and they were the managers of what's called the Māori Boys Hostel in Hinemoa Street. And I had wonderful memories of our time there, loved it. And um, then that was in the church then decided, because they'd abolished the scheme and then they decided they'd made a mistake that they'd try and get some of the home missionaries trained. And that dad and Bob Middleplatz, who was a helper, were the only two that succeeded in going through to ordination. But we went to Hamilton because Waikato University was just starting. It wasn't a university. I think it was a teacher's college or something. I can't remember what it was. Uh, I was too little to remember. (laughs) Um, And so he, he was to go to university. But in their caring way, he had a family of four And he had to. We were put in a rental Had a rental property that they had to get themselves a commercial, residential property that they had to pay the market rents for. So Dad had to work full time and try and do studies for a guy who was not even slightly academic, and of course he just he couldn't pass a single thing, Mm. and um, it was, it was a sad time, but for him. Uh, And Mum had to go out to work. She was working which was quite contrary to their, both their belief systems. And um, yeah, I can remember as a um, five, six-year-old, went to Varden Road School and we were, what was in the what was then at Tarafa, <laughs> it's right in the <laughs> thriving metropolis <laughs> where our house was um, and townships area now. But we, uh, it, it was something like about a three, and not joking, it was about a three mile walk to walk from home to school. Mm. Uh, and and back again each day, and you know in the, those days the peat swamps hadn't been drained, and the fogs were that heavy. As, even as a little tacky you couldn't see your own feet, and so you had to walk along the side of the road, and you, you'd feel the edge of the road and the, the thing to try and make sure you were on the path to get to school. Is that right? And you know it was it was a long day, and I would come home at the end of the day. You know I was the first one home. As a six-year-old, and I had to open up the house, and if the, it was one to get the fire going, so that the coal range could go, so we could eat dinner. Mm. And you know, it was our life; it was our reality. We didn't didn't get upset about it, but it must have been hard on mum and dad that, yeah. that, that 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 was not their plan for their kids. Yeah.
2: Well, you know, it's almost like what you're talking about too. When you were this little boy, is you're kind of building resilience too right and learning how to um, and look I guess the other thing about that is it wasn't fair and it didn't work out sometimes and you know for some it was too much but I feel like that's nature's gift in some way eh? and you know all of the ancient symbolism is like kind of the yin the yang it is and you know
0: I don't regret it for a split second Mm. any of that Uh, as I say I, I never got to have this sort of dialogue of conversation with mum and dad because mm. I, I never we had huge respect for mum and dad and I, I always grew up as a kid it was never under any shadow of doubt that we were loved even though dad would never use that phrase yeah. mum would but dad never ever would and he, he, when he was dying he said for, had a regret I didn't have a relationship with you boys like mm. you guys got with your kids mm. and isn't that interesting that was the closest he came to acknowledging
2: yeah. gosh it must have been meaningful when he said that because eh? i guess you, oh it's hugely so yeah yeah because i guess you suspected he loved you but it just was a different time where well you sh- it's something like you showed it didn't you like i if i put food on the table well, man it means that, that love, i love okay, you because exactly. dads who don't love their kids wouldn't be able to do that and it came at a bit of a sacrifice probably you know who knows how those old fellas were but they definitely had to process the world in real time, you know.
0: And and they couldn't afford to get emotional about it. They didn't Mm. have room in their world Mm. to get emotional about stuff. You know, when my oldest brother was having what we thought was a heart attack at the time, he'd been taken to Waikato Hospital and I was at my sister's, we were having some family get-together mm. and it was decided that Dad and I would go up to the hospital and the, the ladies, as it was a tradition of those days, stay home and prepare dinner and all that, that stuff. And when we were driving along going past the um, Caudland showgrounds, I was sitting there and I was getting welled up because I I loved my older brother. Mm. Uh, huge. There was a fair age gap with me, so he, between the two of us. And I, I was getting emotional and I thought, how dare I? That's mm. that guy's oldest son over there. And I put my hand across and said, he's going to be okay, Dad. And he just picked my hand up and put it back and said, don't be like that, please, son. You just drive. Mm. And I I was really quite upset by it and taken back by it. And then I thought, actually, he's
2: a man of his era. Mm. i got
0: no right to criticize him.
2: Well, I also wonder, like, and I, I haven't really thought about this too much, but if you let the world in, you realize how hard it really is, and yeah. sometimes having a good, you know, like a fence, you want it to do its job, which is to keep things out when needed. Yes, and I get it that we can go too far, but I wonder today, because you know, it's like we have this unlimited access to just things coming in, and I think we see it in droves where it's overwhelming. You know, I think it that's trounces. the bit yeah. that I that I'm personally interested in this conversation around faith, which is like it can act like a wall for you sometimes and if you don't have that then what do you have is my question because the world's always going to be as heavy as it really is and if you're playing this game alone then whew good luck
0: <laughs> yeah, I, I agree I, see, growing up as a minister's kid for me God was never a question it was never, God was never up for dispute mm. ever uh, and still to this day is isn't for me it's a taken for granted and Mm. um, you know my life hasn't been a straight up little graph it's been all over like most people our line graphs are like this Mm. if you plotted them Mm. and I've had some pretty down at the bottom of the barrel stuff you know uh, I had three years of deep clinical depression Mm. but the only thing that kept me going was my faith in God Mm. it seriously was and I've often wondered if I didn't have that would I have survived, and I don't believe I probably mm, would have, mm. um, because I've been with—I'd hate to add up how many people I've been with as they've died, mm. which is an amazing privilege. Mm. It's, a, it's an amazing privilege, but I, I've seen people who've just pulled the plug on their own lives because yeah. they've got nothing to fight for. Yeah, and I watch other people, and they just won't give up. And there's something—there's go, something goes on within our own individual self. Mm. And I'd much rather have a situation where I feel, well, if worst comes to worse, I know I'm okay. Yeah. And that—that's what—that's what you know. Um, my faith does for me. I, I separate faith and religion because religion is um is an organised way of and a structured way of doing it. Mm. Uh, and that. That can, it will appeal to people at certain parts of their lives, and other parts of their lives it won't. Okay. And I don't have an issue or an umbrance with that. That's their personal journey and their personal thing. I don't. I I don't see it as my role to judge another human being.
2: Right. So, almost like you know, depending where you are in your life's journey, there's a pathway for you. Like you know, I guess as a kid. It's like life's a bit simpler. It's complicated in some ways, but your main goal is to not get lost in the fog, right? And f- yep, exactly. f- feel your way through it. Just feel through. your way through it, and then get to the destination. There's a couple bigger jobs for you, and but but you know, if, ultimately, if you don't get it done today, someone comes and helps you out. And then when you're an adult, you have all of these different things. I wonder if that's the kind of genius, if you like, of separating it out, like you said. So let's just maybe sit on that point. So faith and religion for most people who aren't in a world yes apart from the imagine one we've built commercialism (laughs) um, those things feel the same but they're not they're not okay so faith is what like uh, like um, if I'm a little kid I know you know you get home you've walked home in the fog you know mum and dad will come home sometime yes is that like a
0: faith that's a faith thing 100% yeah
2: because yeah, okay.
0: Yeah. It's, it's, a it's not a belief. A, a, a belief is that my feet will go on that path. The mm-hmm. faith is that they will be there for me. They will come home for me at some stage. Yep. And there's nothing to get stressed or upset about because they're doing their bit for the family and they will get here as soon as they can because they don't like me being on my own.
2: Yeah, almost like... And people, we have that in society anyway. We'd like to believe humans are good. We'd like to believe if we were down on luck, someone would appear... And I think the important bit is to recognize if it does happen. It's a that, miracle. <laughs> yeah, yeah. And, and maybe you could do that for someone else too, you know, be yes. faithful, be that faith for them. And so religion is, is, is what then? Like, just, you know, and we're just having a, a chin wag about this. So would that be uh, like trying to understand why that faith enacts itself?
0: Not for not for me. Yeah. And I'm not saying I'm the same yeah. as everybody else. I hear. For me, it, for me, there's been huge number of times I've started writing a, a second book, and, mm. and it's about this whole finding faith in our everydayness. And for for me, there's things that have happened that I can't give a rational, logical explanation to. Mm. And you know, so we. And that's the course of history of religion is that, you know, a lot of the miracles and stuff we can't actually explain. Yes. And and in the moment you try and go into a rational state of mind, it's an illogical, irrational thing that's happened. Mm. And that's, you know, for those of us who are nutters, we call it the mystery of God because mm. we, it's a mystery. We yeah. just, we can't rationally explain it. Mm. But, you know, we, we all have moments where something happens, that you get a premonition or something like that. And it's like you saying, you intuitively knew. Mm. To me, that's a religious, that's a faith experience. Yes, yes. Those sort of things I take for granted because they happen, not really, they happen frequently. Mm. That I end up at something and you say afterwards and say, how the heck did that happen around Mm. me just now? And it's because for me there's someone guiding me and and is there for me Mm. that... um, if you applied the rational mind and the logical mind, you'd say, "Let's put me in a psychiatric hospital because yes. I've lost my marbles." <laughs> well, it, it isn't that genre, really, is not mm. it? It is. You know, we we just there's so much that goes on for some of us. Uh, you know, and, and I've got a um, incredible woman I work with, which is at, at, uh, well, at Waikiki Family Support, and we have these amazing, rich conversations because she. She's gone to work and told her partner in the morning what's going to happen that day, and it happens like that. And yet there was no way of knowing it. And I have days like that, Mm. and you know that you just things happen, and you just sit there and say, "Why did I go turn left instead of right? Mm. I'd gone there intending to turn right, and I turned left, and I walked into Mm. this. Mm. And you know, I did years in the police and. And that was part of my spookiness and a number of my colleagues talked about how I was spooky to go out with, I remember there was a policeman in Hamilton, she'd get in the patrol car with me and say, and what the hell are we going to be dealing with tonight? Mm. And I'd just laugh and tell her two or three things and she, yeah, yeah. She'd say, how did you know that? I said, what? She said, you told us and they all happened. <laughs> I don't know. They just did. Just did. And and that's, that's a faith question and it's... Um, I, is, I can't rationally explain it I, I sort of talked a bit about it at a service I took on Sunday and it's that I do believe in miracles because I put those things down as miracles because a miracle is something we just can't rationally and logically mm. explain
2: mm. well I've been trying to process like I had a guest here the other week Cameron, sorry he's uh, um, I think a Catholic chap from Pookie. And he came out here because I feel like I'm just bringing the churches to me <laughs> until <laughs> no, I find like a way. I'm just going to like sit, no, gonna sit in the chair. And we were talking about this idea like, uh, like if everyone turned up at church on Sunday, it wouldn't work. It's too many people, you know? So there's this idea. I was, like, I was trying to work through that, and I was like, well, maybe. maybe that's okay because as long as there's pockets, it works like Wi-Fi. There's a bunch of people coming together to radiate these thoughts, and I wonder if that's the religious aspect that will manifest our gut feelings into something that it, might radiate out and affect, you know, in a in a in a you know cause and effect energy kind of way.
0: Well, you know, if if you were on a deserted on an island on your own, decent-sized mm. island mm. on your own. Mm you don't have rules and regulations, it's how you want it to do. Bring another person in, you still don't need them. As you grow those numbers, you suddenly need, you have to form a society, and the only way you can function as a society, mm. and this is across all cultures of the world, mm. you start to form rituals, habits, and rules and regulations. Yeah. And that's what the church is, is it's a community of people who have the same faith system, and they might vary within that church, but they're there to be a community and knowing well, at least everybody in here is wrestling with the same mm, sorts of issues that yes. I am and we can have honest conversations yep, about yep. this stuff yeah. and we can acknowledge that you know I've been on it for my whole life 34 years, I wish <laughs> 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 but someone might be only on their first months of mm. it and you, you respect that and mm. you, you give them kudos for even wanting to ask and look yeah, yeah uh, Absolutely. And that's what that's what creates a church. So it's a it's a community within a com- community. If mm. you get my meaning, yeah. You know, we're the community of Waiuku here. Yep. We're part of the community of Franklin. Mm. Unfortunately, we're part of Auckland. <laughs> <laughs> I say that deliberately. <laughs> <laughs> and um, and the church is, a, is another community within that. And we all have them. I've got my community at Waiuku family support. Mm. My my wife's been at Tai Chi tonight. That's another. We we have a whole lot of little communities we operate in in our daily lives. Yep. You do with MIT.
2: Mm, that's right. We
0: we just we have communities, mm. and it's be, and all those communities have rules and regulations about it. Yeah. Now that doesn't mean because I'm not part of your MIT community, I don't believe in education and training because mm. I strongly do. Mm. Uh, but I'm not. It's not a religion for me because I'm not there working under those rules and regulations. Right. That, that's how I draw the model to show yes. the difference between the, yes. the
2: two. Yeah, and I think the challenge we've got is we are starting to draw those boundaries to say, you're not part of my team, Yes. so you can't be at the barbecue. And somewhere along the line, we started to accept that collectively, right, that you're that and you're that, which is why it's challenging as a 40-year-old to be like, well, if I was going to be a bit more open to... um, a story of faith and maybe that leads into religion what would I do and I'm just like hmm I don't know yeah it's
0: a a very good it's a legitimate good question
2: yeah well that's why it's like beautiful that I have this other this other surrogate of the podcast which is like there is no boundaries yet yeah this is the desert island digitally yes where you can wrestle with anything yes and there's no threats you know you can visit that island and, and hundreds can and I wonder if that's where you know maybe there's lessons in that for how we talk about different things going forward, right? I agree. Look, when we were when was
0: training for ministry, mm. we had a, a guy from Scotland, Alan Torrance, who is, talked about 300 feet over my head. He was so intellectual. I, I'd, I'd say 90% of his lectures I didn't understand. I'm starting to understand them 30 years later now. <laughs> but back then it was just so far over my poor old head. But one of the things he said during one of his lectures, and it was down to earth, so it's probably why I understood it, he said, What differentiates the church from a football club? Mm. And I just sat there gobsmacked and I thought, Well, wow, that's a flipping good question. Mm. What is it? Because they have rules and regulations, they have codes of behavior, everything is like what we are. And he said, The difference is that we have what's called, the, in religious speak, the grace of God, which is the love of God. Yeah. And that's what we're connected for. And he said, They've got their love of rugby, Mm. but they've got their love of a whole lot of other things simultaneously as a collective. That's right. Our soul soul point in a church is our love of God, the grace of God, as Mm. it's called. Mm. And he said that's what's got to differentiate us because it requires a different code of behavior that you... Yeah, if you belong, love belong to football clubs in my day, mm. and uh, they certainly didn't, didn't have the codes
3: <laughs> about
0: caring for your neighbour, loving everybody, respecting mm. everybody, and the dignity and all that went on. There was there was some quite nasty and vicious politics went yeah. on in those sort of organisations. Yeah, I'm not saying they don't go on churches. That that's ridiculous. Of yeah. course they do. Yeah, I, even after all these years, I wish religion would somehow learn to get rid of the politics yeah. at all. But that's not, never going to happen.
2: Absolutely, and I mean. You know, just because someone might say they're atheist or whatever, they're still are believing in something or at least worshiping something, eh? You know, and I see it everywhere. It's like, you know, the god of veganism or the god yes. of um, climate change, and and I guess the bit that I was a bit freaked out about that. It's like, well, yeah, when let's say it's good on the on paper until it's not, and the wheels come off which is where, where do you lean out. back to you know yep. and I'm just like one well, of those commandments or these ancient ideas which is like they have an order and they're like a list of <laughs> the Straight wheels come up. off go yeah, back to, to one the go back you to know the and then yep. uh, uh, let's just worry about that and I'm kind of like all right you know there's something really deeper and I I don't know everyone feels like their part in history is the most important part ever right <laughs> that's part of our ego exactly <laughs> exactly and 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 of course, it's just like this wave. And when you were talking about, um, you know, your background, kind of, you talked about the graph. You know, yeah. it's funny because one of the things I've learnt recently is, um, well, I do this stuff in breathing, and I talk to the professor who's mentoring me, and I say, "What's the best measurement for health, currently?" And he said, "Well, there's this thing called HRV, which measures your heartbeat, but it measures the gap in between your heartbeat, and." HRV a healthy HRV is when your gaps between your heartbeat vary so the graph is different, different. and yes. up and down and I said why is that why is that and he said well because your body ha- always has to prepare if something goes wrong and it has to work instantly yes. so it practices between your heartbeat it practices sometimes beating quick and beating slow and I feel like when you said that it popped in my mind because your graph is like this and over and you're kind of preparing or continuously prepared to be able to deal with whatever goes on and I think that's my um, feeling about you you know you can rise or lower depending on the situation yeah and it's a it's like how do you write that down on paper that you can do that you can't, you can't. can you no and so it's like we have I'd love
0: to, to know to make a fortune selling in the book
2: yeah yeah, <laughs> yeah you know you know but what are? it's like I feel like the easiest way is well we'll We'll package it down exactly what it is you can do and then we'll sell that to the world and the problem is is like you can do a lot of different things and we all can and I'm sure that's the gift is that we're all amazing at one little thing you know?
0: Every human being is unique, mm-hmm. um, even identical twins. And I've got cousins who are identical twins. And even at our age, in our late sixties, nearly flipping seventy, that they, I still look at. I can't work out which ones which all these years mm-hmm. later. But they have got funny little mannerisms mm-hmm. that are theirs exclusively theirs. Mm-hmm. And Robbie laughs at different things to Pete. Yep. And so they they're quite unique, even though they're technically identical. Mm-hmm. And So it says, you know, part of our journey in life, I believe, and it's only part of it, it's not the holistic Mm -hmm. thing, is actually finding out who we are and what gives us value in our life and our meaning and our purpose. Because when I was in um, management, I was put on the Stephen Covey Seven Habits of Highly Effective People course. And one of the things you do on that course is you write your own mission statement. Mm. And you go through a pace process basically of just writing your own funeral service so you come out with this mission statement and the objective then is to live your life that people will have no choice but to describe your mission statement from your actions from then on through mm. so you actually have some purpose and focus as to where you're going now I did mine um I found it today on something and it's 24 years ago I wrote it That's and incredible. I go and revisit it every year minimum once a year And I've never changed even a comma in it all these years. It still is my, that and a mantra that I found about six or seven or ten years ago, I can't remember when I found it out, it's a Scottish proverb from Robert Louis Stevenson, and it's don't judge each day by the harvest you reap, rather by the seeds you plant and so that's be, my, and that connects perfectly with my mission statement what what seeds am i planting to grow healthy things for the future mm, generations mm. so when you take on a philosophy like that the damaging of the planet is just grossly unacceptable mm. you know we, we were gifted a planet that had pristine water in it in this country. You know, I grew up with you. You could stick your mouth in any stream or river in New Zealand and drink to your full because the water was so pure, yeah. no risks whatsoever. I wouldn't you'd, probably armour at Rotorua would be the only one would be left game to because that's a natural spring out of the ground and it's until it gets into Lake Rotorua, it's pure mm-hmm. water. Mm-hmm. Um, we we have done so much harm in the name of progress, and I keep thinking. How is this progress? Because we measure progress in monetary, materialistic terms. And I've yet, and as I said before, I've been with a lot of people and they've died, and I've yet to hear one person say, gee, I wish I'd made more money. Mm. In fact, the guy I was with recently who's dying, and he said, man, I'm glad I didn't focus on money my whole life. He says, and their family are gathered around, and it's just wonderful to see mm. the interactions going on, knowing the end is in measured time. And yet it money wouldn't have made as worthless in that mm. situation, absolutely worthless.
2: Yeah,
0: it's a, It's about the common love we share for each other.
2: And, you know, I feel like everyone listening knows that's exactly correct until we wake up tomorrow and we feel the pressure of the day yeah. and then it's like jeepers I don't feel like that right now I feel like it's all about I've got to make some money or this happens and that happens and you can pl- plot your way to the bottom of the hill pretty rapidly and And I think that's um, yeah it's something well I, I think it actually goes back to planting those seeds yeah. because those seeds like let's say me and you for example we recently connected and we're like there's so many things that overlap so if we're good to each other and plant the seeds together we win on all levels we get to talk like we're doing yes we get to um hopefully make some meaningful change to ourselves and others and, and and be part of the process and i'm like even if me and you are wise we will do it 10 or 15 seeds around the place, and then it's not all about one massive orchard feeding everyone, is it? It's this no, it's, little bits, little bits, little bits.
0: That's why Waikou Family Support, our strategy document, <laughs> it's, an, it's an art object, is four trees grown, with the, which are the four seasons. But when you go and you see underground of it, and it's all the roots interweave mm. amongst each other, mm. and so our job as a board is to actually make sure the nutrients are in there to make the tree grow properly and healthily. Yeah. It's not about actually money per se. It's mm-hmm. actually about the people you're caring for. And it, it was a Murray Komar tour at a conference when I was um, Chief executive in the industry training field, Mm. and he stood up at a conference route and he says, "You pucky ass, crack me up." He says, "You're not really very bright," (laughs) and we're all sitting there, "Okay, mate." (laughs) And I was quite riveted because I love someone who's cheeky like that. And he he said, "You know, you you do a strategic plan and it's five years." He says, "We call a strategic plan three generations," Mm. and it hit me between the eyes because the moment you shift it from five years out to 20 to 30 to 40 to 50 years, the thinking changes dramatically. Yeah. And that's where planting the seeds and takes on a new, you know, I was at a meeting a couple of weeks ago at um, Manukau, and um, I said to the, the grassroots people that are there, you people are visionaries, because I'm not going to see this come to fruition, because mm. it's about 30 to 40 years time that what you're doing here now will have its full meaning because it'll change intergenerational behaviour. Yeah. And I said, it, I'm not being morbid, I'm just not going to see that age. Mm. That's reality. Mm. And it doesn't worry me. But it's taking on a, and that's what that tour really challenged me. And, and a whole lot of us others, in fairness, it wasn't just me, there was, there was quite a large number of us at the conference. And we sat down that night over a fair few, too many wines and beers to discuss it. Yeah, had to do proper analysis <laughs> <laughs> and, uh, and talked about it. And I, I, went, I remember going back to my um, office, the next, flew back to Auckland the next day, went to my office, called my PA and says, tip everything upside down. She says, what? I said, we've got to change our business model. We're, we're just doing pretend business. We're not doing real business mm. because we've got to do business with people. And it's people that you influence. You know, you've been shaped by people to make you like you are sitting here. Yeah. Yeah. Same here. It's, you know, technology is a tool that people have made. Mm. Oh, don't get me wrong, I, lo- I love technology and I spend a heck of a lot of my day on it playing with it and doing things. And I'm anything but, you know, I don't want us to go back to being in caves and clubbing each other. Yeah. Um, but e- equally, it's actually a, the relationship with people is the most mm. important thing.
2: Well, and... In- also you know talking about religion again religion can be the surrogate for a thousand year plan and then you can just get busy like I was just thinking when you're talking about that the government's role is to challenge each other short term isn't it you're wrong you're wrong but they've taken on the role of the long-term plan as well which maybe in some instances is okay but not well-being that's supposed to be outsourced to a bigger power maybe
0: Well, that's part of the dilemma that the country's feeling at the moment. They've got a government that's actually saying, no, we're going to go on a journey of what we believe is right for the long term good of the country, not just for an election cycle or two. Right. And. And it certainly brings out wonderful critics. You know, you see them on the social media mm. ranting and raving. And I, I just say, have you ever thought of flicking your brain switch on and listening to, to what yeah. what is the real driver behind it, mm. not your um, propaganda driver mm, behind it? Mm. Uh, because we've had too many governments in New Zealand that are focused on money, and that's why we've got the pollution problems and yeah. everything else. We've, mm. And the major... You know, I can't believe that I live, even in a little town like this, with homeless people.
3: Mm.
0: I can't believe the level of violence and everything we've got. Well, I do believe it because I was a cop and I was mm. so it was mm. an, not an, even an hourly. It was minute by minute wow. frequently your shift yeah. of being aware of violence. Not It was within f- the families was just appalling. And again, that was the, the breakdown of family structure, and all of that, that we were putting more and more responsibilities on people without people even understanding what we were dumping on them. Mm. And we've, we've put the accelerator down, you know, it wasn't that long ago we went into the machine age and it, it's only just over about not even 150 years that we started to do the factories and that came in and now we're starting to toss them out and they're only being run by robots. Mm. And you analyse it over the course of the thousands of years of human history. Yeah. It's a blip, yeah. And you, we, with all that, comes ginormous. As you say, you get up in the morning, you know. And I'm no different. Mm. Oh, here I am. <laughs> no, I, I still have my moments. Uh, uh, you know, there's no, I'm am anything but a walking saint. And I could fill this room up with people who would testify I'm accurate on that statement. <laughs> um, but you know, we 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 come under so much pressure on a daily basis to deliver and to do things and it's it's part of my wrestling at this stage of life that in so-called retirement is to try and take time out to stop to think to Mm. reflect Mm. and to ponder Mm. and you know my whole working career you know as a policeman you've got less than a split second you know down to Fractions of a split second to make a decision. Mm. You know, like in my, when I got stabbed, the the incident took place. The actual incident itself took place probably over five minutes, and I spent three and a half days in court getting cross-examined over it. Mm. You know, there's something wrong in the values chain in that. Yeah, the, yeah, yeah. you know, we, we 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 put people in split-second decision-making, and then we an- over-analyze it without actually putting on the shoes of the other person.
2: It's like in sports, you get to watch it in slow motion. Yes. And then you get to talk about how horrible all the decisions were, but we weren't there. Exactly. And yet you watch it in real time and it doesn't look as bad. It's the thing that drives everyone nuts about sports, isn't it?
0: Oh, look, I'd, I was a rugby referee for a while and people forget, even at my altitude, these players were bigger than me of them. And so to see over them, to see what was going on... Mm. you know, yeah. you know, when I was refereeing we didn't have the, the touch judge system like you do now mm. so you were on there and people would go out and abuse and I remember walking off and I was taking a school kids game and handing a whistle to a referee and say, my referees whistled to a parent and says, you can take over I'm not putting up with your abuse anymore mm. and he said "What?" Well, I said I'm, it's your game I, I'm here as a volunteer get stuffed if you think you can talk to me like that because I made a decision that you saw from a different angle to me Yeah, yeah. I just that's probably why I was getting too grumpy. That's why I stopped refereeing.
2: <laughs> <laughs> but that's the thing. We need referees, right? Yes. We need people to help guide the chaos. To moderate life. Otherwise, it's not a game anymore. Yeah. It's not a competition. And and we're kind of making the incentive... For people not to want a referee, or the types of people who would want to control—that's Yes. That's not refing anymore. Is it's, contro- no, it's controlling? We don't like those refs. No, they hate it. Yeah, yeah, they really they're the are. They want to get all the real vile yeah. abuse. Yeah, and they—and they, it's like bosses are like yes. that, right? You yes. know, you get the really malevolent ones who—they're there to control and to push and pull these pieces around. And it's like, well, look—I I think that's the problem I've had is that I want to learn from people as long as I have the feeling that there's something to learn from them. Yes. Otherwise, it's like, well, why are you controlling me? Exactly. And I know that's not always correct. It's probably just probably half of it is because I'm the youngest of the kids and I'm the spoiled oh, brat. And, so, yes, you know, <laughs> the feelings the like, language. I mean, I didn't have to walk home in the uh, fog. In fact, I would have done probably good if I had been told to walk home in the fog um, just to you know because I think one of the things Bruce probably the reason I podcast is because I don't know that uh that chaos that some of the guests tell me about you know your book for example about this lifelong um event that happened to you the stabbing it's like I kind of don't even really want to talk about it but I do know that that uh experience gave you this insight right and it gave you a bunch of these other things too yes but it also gave you this well superpower is the wrong word but this glimpse into something else that that you probably don't even know how to control that or where it's useful or not but but I don't have any of those things, right? So my parents did an effective job at clearing <laughs> all the pathways and I was the big little brother. So all my sisters and brothers, they're kind of regular size and then there's this big fat beanpole in the middle of it. And it's been a journey as I've gotten older where I realized that there's these waves of life and it's yes. not it's not all good because if you look at it that way, then one you're easy picking and two the world doesn't work like
0: that the world doesn't work it like it works that. in this flow yeah. of even um, flow.
2: and i think that's maybe one of the things i'm trying to work through even through the idea of religion is you know it's like it's really easy to say good and bad but everything is the spectrum yes which uh it's I,
0: the gray that confuses
2: yeah 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 and and if you look at history you know it you think, most people think, oh, I'd do a better job if I was in that. I would have stood up and said, stop that. But most likely, we would all be the ones who go along with the flow, you know, because what makes us think we're any better than anyone else, you know? We're susceptible to the same...
0: Look, no matter what your role, and I've been chief executive of a few organisations, <laughs> you caught up in the perpetual pressure of the decision making you do and the accountability that you have and I, I don't, even if you're a street sweeper mm. you're caught up with accountability why did you miss that can and all that sort of mm. stuff it, we all have it in our lives and that's what goes back to when you as you populate the island you've got to develop these rules for the safety of everybody else I got a book that I read when I was first at university at Waikato and I was doing psychology papers called The Social Animal by Elliot er- Aronson. I still, I've never gone a month and not read bits of that book again wow. because it has such a profound impact on me because Aronson argues that we're all social animals and you that's why if you study the Myers-Briggs system, with extroversion, introversion no one is a hundred percent extrovert no one is a hundred percent introvert we're we're a blend of all mm-hmm. these other it's just how much of the, the blend you are as to what you operate like mm. but you um, we need social interaction there's there's back in the 12 1300s I think it was don't quote me on the figure because it's mainly just to me the concept is more important that they had. Um, they were mainly men. I don't know why, <laughs> with a few women, but mainly men who would go and hide themselves in caves on the hill and just become ascetics. They lost their marbles. Mm. They literally did, they, they they killed themselves and did all sorts of bizarre things to themselves because mm. all level of shape and meaning had been taken from their lives. They thought they were going to find God by being locked away and they almost found the opposite mm. uh, because we're not designed as humans to be on our lonesome. That doesn't mean we don't need time out. You know, I, by nature I am a strong introvert. That's why I'm enjoying retirement, because I can have hours of the day not talking to anybody. It's mm. heavenly for me. Mm. But, you know, it, it, you can't... You know, I I didn't start my working career off as ambitious. Um, well, I was in the police. I wanted to be a dog handler, and that was as high as I ever wanted to go. <laughs> and in the police rank structure, the dog had more privilege than we did. <laughs> but... Um, um, It wasn't until afterwards, and it actually was when I was a parish minister that I suddenly thought, when I finished with this parish, do I just go and do the same again? Mm. And that's when I started to wrestle with a whole lot of internal stuff. And for me, I believe it was God saying, no, your ministry is not to be like that. Mm. I believe I was called out to go and, and experience and discover... What it's like to be ambitious, what it's like to um, become a chief executive and it was back being like a cop in courtroom, you go to a board meeting and there's you there as the chief executive and there's 12 board members around grilling you for X period of time over every little decision you've made. Mm. The difference was that as a policeman I had a millisecond to make a decision as a chief executive. I had time to make a decision. Mm. And a a very wise manager, she was a lot younger than me, one of my managers, and she said to me one time, Bruce, if it's a big decision, go home and sleep on it. And I said, what? She says, go home and sleep on it. As soon as you wake up in the morning, the answer that's in your head is the correct one. Wow. It was incredibly profound, and it's so true. Mm. All these years later, it's so true. You go home and you you torment yourself. no, go to sleep. And wake up, and the answer is right. If you torment yourself, you'll have a bad night's sleep, and everyone get of you. And during the day, <laughs> so you you, make, you discipline yourself into having a good quality night's sleep, mm. and then you get up, and and the answer's there. And I, every time i adhere to that, I never, never came under difficulty or scrutiny for the decision you made.
2: Isn't it amazing though that you know this this tool that you're talking about is, you know, it's just a person you met along this random, somewhat random, maybe not, journey. And and now you get to pass that on. But let's say, for example, we didn't catch up tonight and we didn't record this. It might not get out. And that's the kind of interesting bit of life, right? Like, these things need to get out. These this, little... this is the
0: privilege of being a minister because we get to do things called sermons. Mm. <laughs> and um, my sermons are... Um, probably 30-40% what's called biblical commentary and then the rest is actually the real life experiences and and sharing those sorts of stories Mm. Uh, and and they're not just all my stories because you talk to people and you hear stories and you protect people's privacy but you share someone's stories during that and say this this person experienced this and that actually makes sense Mm. of that viral reading sort of Mm, thing
2: mm. Bruce one of the things I've been thinking about with religion is um, there seems to be like kind of evolution's the wrong word, but the you know the the changing of things. We're always um kind of upgrading, or you know you change something and it, it means something else, and that seems to happen throughout time, right? Like yes. horses were once the vehicle, and feet before that, and yes. you know now it's like getting to the stage of a self driving car. Is is there that story in religion? And I guess why I ask that is. Does it need to be what it needs to be when it needs to be? Do you know what I mean by that, mate?
0: Yeah, I do. It's it's intriguing how you worded it. It's um, quite quite neat. It was an accident. (laughs) (laughs) The church has been a reflection of change in the same speed as society. Uh, If you, you know, going back in biblical terms, pre-Jesus through all the Old Testament stuff, it was a bit, the Old Testament is the journey of the children of Israel, and it's a, it's a story of them. They were believed they were chosen by God to be the chosen people, mm. and it, it and if you read it in the context of what it's about, it's a journey of a bunch of people wrestling with what is this person called? We call now called God. It was Yahweh Elohim or Jehovah, mm. depending on which tribe of Israel you belong to, as to what name you use to refer to God. Uh, and we've, we we modernised it by putting everything in the English language and weakened a heck of a lot of it in my biased yeah. opinion because yeah. words have multiple meanings and some group of people for their own po- political agenda chose that particular meaning yeah. uh, but it was sort of going along okay up until World War II. Mm. Uh World War Two is really interesting I did papers that. Uh, in my Btheol, I did church history in, in my Bachelor of Theology, and in World War II is when it started to really change noticeably, and the political influence, you know, I saw photos of um, churches in Nazi Germany with the swastika flag hanging over the altar, and to me that was so, so, so offensive, and so now from, from studying that nationalism has no place in a church, in my opinion. Mm. That's my interpretation and bias. Uh, and, but the, the church after World War Two, society started to revolutionise because we, we went into the manufacturing era and mass production mm. and all of this. And the churches did it for a wee bit. Globally, a guy called Billy Graham you know, he had a huge influence on the churches here in New Zealand You know, my dad was a total fanatic for him yeah. and he I remember get, being taken to Western Springs as a little fella and Western Springs was overflowing with people changing to God and it was supermarket type mass production mm. Christianity and dad would be spinning in his grave if you heard me saying that now but that, when you sit back and look at it that's actually what it was in reality and so we, you know, we've now gone into technology and you know, we're holding Zoom services occasionally. Mm. And that is a huge challenge to us leading the services as to how do you keep the awe and the mystery of God through technology yeah. without changing it into entertainment. Mm. And society's gone down. You know, that's all sport is. Sport is just pure entertainment. Yeah. Some of them treat it like a religion, but mm. it's actually an entertainment... Uh, the rugby is just an auditorium with the gladiators down there, and the Lions is the other side. Mm. You, know, you, you just get neat, beaten up. That, that's all sport. There's horse racing in this chariot. You know I remember when I was at Equine ITO saying to the New Zealand Racing Board, "You guys would succeed if you actually realised you're in the entertainment industry, mm. not in the gambling industry." Yeah. And I, was, you know, I just about got crucifixion without resurrection for saying it, but it's true that that that's what sport is, and we've elaborated these people into idols, and um, we've lost some values in society when these idols are are young people in their early twenties, and we know from research that the brain doesn't actually start to really settle down until your late twenties, early thirties, mm. does it start to? And in some, it's longer before than that. Just sort the mush out in your brain and stop being the hoons that go out here and dig up everybody's turf because yeah. your, your blood systems are settling down. Mm, it's mm. just a maturity thing. You know, in ancient times, that was done with horses, exactly yeah. the same as the kids behaving now. I read a piece, Cicero, I think it was, a Roman emperor. Right, this thing, but it wasn't till you got the end that you discovered it was the Roman Emperor having a pot shot at teenagers and what what terrible monsters they were, and you'd have thought it was written in this day and age. Mm. And it was written th- thousands of years ago, Absolutely. about three thousand years ago. It was yeah. written, so it, you know, it, it's all. But we what's changed is the evolution and speed of technology, because you know when I was hooning round, and my definition of hooning round is a young guy in a car. The cars were struggling to get to 40, 50 miles an hour, mm. you know. So, but nowadays they're in cars that are, do close to two hundred k's an hour, yeah. and their brains aren't actually designed to change, adjust to that speed.
2: Yeah,
0: and we don't train them to adjust to that speed. Yeah, the only ones we do are your Scott McLaughlin's. He's a hero in my opinion. <laughs> but you know that that the interesting thing is, I remember watching an interview of young Scotty McLaughlin. And he says. Oh, heck no, when I get in my private car, I don't want to speed. I'd do that on the track. And yet as a society, we haven't comprehended. That's right. The shift and mm. things. And that's where the churches have been left behind at the moment because when we're, we're wanting to be back in the 1950s at a whole range of levels. Mm. And yet we're in the 2020s and society has moved dramatically from the 1950s. It's, it's a totally different world. Mm. And it's a tension that some of us feel I know I do because I, I don't want to turn the clock back I don't think that's even slightly appropriate but I also don't know how you get the message of, of God across because part of getting the message of God is that, that be still and no and people can't be still now realistically they mm, can't mm. they'd get fired if they were still There was a a general manager when I worked at Clear Communications, Jane was an amazing young woman, and she put on her door, she used to put notices on her door, I am reading, do not disturb me because I need to do my job properly and I need to improve my knowledge. Please do not disturb me, I am having thinking time. And she put notices on the door, it could be an hour before she'd open her door, and she was super 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 smart young lady incredible woman and and she had the smarts to actually realize we were in a fast-moving telecommunications company taking on um telecom as they were then and uh, telecom didn't want to be deregulated and didn't want us in the marketplace it was pretty ugly times and all whole cool fun did some awesome fun things in those times but she actually comprehended that If we wanted to make our business go fast, she had to slow down. Mm. And yet nowadays, you'd fire someone who's doing what she was doing. We haven't got time to slow down. We've got to get on to this Mm. now. The urgency Mm. factor has overridden everything.
2: Or worse, well, there's not too many worse things than getting fired, but you won't even get a shot because you're productivity will be tracked the whole way through minutely and so again i think it's like that referee you're selecting for a specific type of person yes who will put other things above what really matters and i think that's like why well you know that would be the most compelling reason for me to come to church is because that's a uh, let's you know an enforced way to relax <laughs> well that's, you know see, what I mean see
0: that's why for me yeah. a service of worship shouldn't be fast yeah it should have a nice gentle it should have silence mm. we don't use silence anywhere near enough um, when I was trained for ministry they all thought nan my mentor had lost her marbles when she sent me to teshmakers at Amaru to have a week silent retreat wow no talking for a week and we I was the only Protestant that went there. They all rest were Catholic, young Catholic nuns and um, it was one of the most enriching experiences of my life and we did some amazing exercises and I'll tell you one because it reinforces this whole spirituality thing. The nuns that were called guided, it was a guided retreat. So the nuns would give us instructions of what we had to do during the day and um, on our first day, we were all told to go go for walks, but we were not allowed to actually physically see each other. We all had to go in different directions, and we had to pick up three things that, for us, symbolized God, and we were to bring them back. So, and, but we weren't to be back until it was, it was about 4 or 5 o'clock in the afternoon we had to come back. So in those days I wore a watch, I don't now. Um, and so when we got back, we had these objects in our hands and she, she then said, "There's someone in that room, this room that you've got to give an object to. But you' no talking, you just and you're not allowed to give any person three objects or two, they must only get one. but you'll know who is the right person to give each object to. So I gave out my three objects and I was given three back. And she said, now, when you go to your rooms after dinner, we'll go and put these in your room, and then after dinner, when you go up to your room, I want you to write down what that object, each of those objects means to you. I thought, this is weird. Mm-hmm. She, she must smoke wacky back here in her spare time, because this is a bit nutty for someone with my <laughs> practical background. But I thought... I'm sent here for a reason just go with it yeah. when we got to the last day of the retreat we went on the Monday and it was the Friday we wound up to go journey back to um, Dunedin And it was in the, after lunch on the Friday afternoon we were to bring down our piece of paper that we'd written about because we'd had to write down what the, what those three objects we gave away meant to us and what the three we received were without a word of a lie the three objects that I gave away, what the person that got each of those objects reported back was word perfect for what I'd written down on my sheet of paper.
3: Wow.
0: And the same applied with the ones that vice versa. And not a word had been spoken. And that's when I realized the mystery and awe of God and there was no speaking. And I thought, I've, I've actually been in a huge privilege to go through this. And interestingly, I've, I've done that exercise in smaller churches. It's hard in large population churches. Although I did it in, a, in my parish on Palmerston North. We had 180 at worship and, and for a church that seated 160, and I still did it there. And I just brought in buckets of objects that I'd collected around the streets and parks and everything like that. And I said to the kids to come up and take an object and give it to a person as a gift from God. And the you think well, why you're giving that person that gift from God, and we, and we just did random samplings, and it was, came out exactly the same result. That what the, what that kid was giving that that person for, even though they didn't know the person, was exactly the same as why that what that person read into it. Mm. And that's pure mystery to me. That's not rational or logical.
2: Yeah. And
3: well,
2: that's
0: why in churches we've got to learn to slow down mm. and allow space to, because my argument is. How do you hear God speaking to you if you're yakking all the time?
2: Yeah. Yeah. absolutely right. Yeah, there's no gaps. Yeah. So something might be speaking to you, you're not even going to hear it. Yeah. Woo! Well, it's called blowing my mind for a reason, Bruce. Just
0: did that. (laughs) Well, see, there's a difference between hearing and listening. Mm. Hearing is a physical... Physiological thing, yep. not this, right. uh, yeah, yeah. Um, whereas listening is listening with comprehension and understanding what's going on, and that's that's when it shifts beyond hearing. When you actually your brain is starting to regurgitate and play with what you've heard.
2: Mm. Mm. Look, there's so many. Um, this will be part one of many, I think, with you because, yeah, yeah, we're not we're only going to scratch the surface today. I think in the chronological order where. Waihe is where we are up to, <laughs> yes, um, and and so so my, my kind of question, and you know we can we can do another one of these because let's not um oh I mean we could carry on too, but I want to be respectful of your time. So, at what point did you think that? Was it around that time you were thinking of police as a career?
0: Yes, when I was at he I was. Because been involved in the church, I went to Bible class Easter camps. I think they were heaven for mum and dad. They they got rid of the kid for the for four to five days and knew he'd be well looked after. But we used to, from where he go to Matamata. Um, oh God, I can't remember the name of the place. It's out of Matamata. There was a church campsite there, mm-hmm. and we went there. And um, one of those Easter camps. I strongly felt that God had called me into ministry, but I never told anyone. I never told anyone at the campsite, I just felt at some stage in my life I'm going to become a minister, but it's not the first thing that's going to happen in my life. So um, it was interesting, again going back to when Dad was dying, he told me when I came home from that Easter camp, he told Mum that night, he said the boy's been called into ministry while he's been away. She said, "How do you know? Let's get him." And she said, "No, don't talk to him." She said, "Leave him alone. He's got to work it through himself." Insisted on it, which I I I thought I'd kept it well hidden secret, but I obviously hadn't. I um, when it came time to leave school, I I didn't, I'd, I always had school holiday jobs because we didn't have to smell of an oily rag to live off. Mm. So since I was, I think I was about ten when I started doing paper rounds and all that sort of stuff and all the kid type stuff you do and then when it came to leaving school I'd been working for Wright Stevensons as they were called in those days and um, Mr Mackey his wife went to our church he didn't but he, he was the manager there he said to me you know you're finishing school this year Bruce and I said well you yeah, and Mum and Dad have agreed that a fourth year in the fifth form wasn't going to be beneficial. I failed school certificates successfully three times in a row. <laughs> so I don't know why I thought I was sick for a long time. <laughs> and um, Mr Mackey said, you know, what about a career with us? Mm. And I said, because they had cadetships in those days. One of the dumb things New Zealand did was kill cadetship model." Mm. And uh, I was quite excited, because I was quite keen to be a stock and station agent, to be honest, because I loved the outdoors. I was a hunter and fisherman. Mm. It all made good sense to me. And so um, Mr Mackey signed me up to do a cadetship, and then Dad was involved in Rotary, and he came home one night from a Rotary meeting and said, oh, by the way, uh, boy, because I was always boy, you go down to the bank tomorrow and meet Mr Kent. I said... The- Mr. Kent, what bank what are you talking about? He says he's the manager of the BNZ. You'd go down and meet him. It's all organized. You start him networking there next week. I said, Dad, I'm working for right Don't you argue with me, boy. That was and you didn't argue with Dad. That was you know, that was just the way of the world. So I was really upset, I had to go and apologize to Mr. Mackie and he said, It's all right, Bruce, I understand. He was really lovely about it. So I started working in the bank in the BNZ. And I still to this day don't know whether I hated it so much because of the way I was sent there or whether it I suspect it was probably a mixture of that and it was not the right world for <laughs> me. They sent me on a... They sent to me and uh, there was another guy from the Haraki Plains. We were sent to this gentleman's course that the bank ran at their own... Training school in lower heart. and they brought out these dinky wee glasses with a cup of coffee in it. And this guy from—we were the two rural boys. I went, what do you mean to do? With this? And he said, "Oh, I know." And he stuck it in his mouth, tipped his head and I was so cool. We got in a ton of trouble. <laughs> <laughs> Though I think they gave up trying to groom us into being gentlemen of the course. It certainly wasn't for me, and so, um, but I. While I was in I uh, decided, well, I w- wasn't going to do that, and we had a young cop come to town, and I'm not sure that I should tell this next bit in, 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 in publicly, um, <laughs> but he had a, a gorgeous-looking wife, and I thought, I was useless at trying to attract girls, and I thought, maybe if I became a policeman... <laughs> I could get a good So that's what made me originally go down to the police station and see Sergeant Bauman, who was six foot five, six, six feet and guy. He was a fantastic cop. And um, met Bernie Bauman and said, I want to become a cop. That's awesome. <laughs> that's awesome. <laughs> so that, that started, and mum and dad never got an inkling. And I, Mr. Kent knew I was hating it in the bank. And he said to me, um, you know, I remember him calling me in one day after I'd been accepted for the police, and he said, "You know, boy, I know you think the grass is greener on the other side, but I will tell you from years of experience, it's not." I said, "Mr. Kent, if it's not a rude question, how much do you earn as the bank manager?" "What do you mean?" I said, "How much do you earn?" He says, "I'm on five thousand pounds, and I'm really proud of it to have risen to that salary." And I said, "And how old are you, Mr. Kent?" He said, "Why?" I said, how old are you? He says, I'm in my late 50s. What's that got to do with you? I said, well, Mr. Kent, the police are in the process of accepting me and I'm just going to turn 20 soon and I'm going to be on 4,666 pounds. So I think that grass might be actually really greener. (laughs) So he transferred me to Browns Bay. (laughs) (laughs) Um, And, yeah, so... It was a blurry time. I still think the system stinks, that we're asking kids at four, 15, 16, 17 to go into careers for their life. Yeah. And we know that their brains don't settle down till they're 20, late 20s, 30s. Mm. And, you know, it's just insane, the whole... I, I actually, I wrote a paper about it when I was in Rotorua, to try and get a pilot going, when we were with our trust, but we won't go into that. That all fell over. But basically, it was to reintroduce the cadetship scheme because winners and world skills. I went to Switzerland on it for a conference, mm. and I talked to some of the Swiss experts over there because they have they're a pokey wee country, mm. and you know, they make their money out of banking and that sort of stuff, mm. and they've got a very very smart economy. So I said. Why don't you guys do different to what we do? Mm. And they said, "Well, everybody has to do an apprenticeship in Switzerland before they can go to university." Yeah. I said, "What?" They said, "We have apprenticeships for everything. If you wanted, you know, if you had your career again, you'd have to have been a banking apprentice mm. before you could study. And once you'd done your apprenticeship, if you didn't like it, then you could do another apprenticeship." Yeah. And you could do as many apprenticeships as you needed until you found the one that was right for you. And then if you wanted to go to university in that subject, you could. Mm. And I, i and and you, and I, that's what I based the cadetship model on to set up in Rotorua for the business community mm. and say, why don't we have these young people leaving school and saying, we'll start at this place, we'll do a year there, we'll go into that industry and do a year in that industry, we'll do a year in that industry. And for the five or six years just have them experiencing a whole lot of industries mm. before we ask them to even start to think about. Yeah. Because at the moment, the main people that push them down that path is their parents. And their parents are trying to correct the mistakes that they went through. Mm. And the, the, the right way is to let that kid actually Absolutely. find what spins their wheels.
2: Yeah, it's the biggest gift uh, that my parents gave me is that they said you could well, they gave me the feeling, they never said it but they're like you know explore, there's always a yep. place for you but I think like it wasn't completely right because I needed a couple kicks along the way just to say pick something because you know too many options you leaves confused. you stranded as well. Yeah
0: I totally agree. You know? See when I left school the, the options were so limited it wasn't funny. Yeah,
2: yeah yeah, and that's why I think going back to that your old man like there's an option to carry on with, or let's say there's an option to not whinge, <laughs> yeah, and I and we're gonna take it because if you could, and we might not be able to shut those gates, yeah, and I kind of think that's it's pretty brutal at some stages, and we're trying to work our way through that in modern life, but we don't have that option currently, just to say shut up for a minute, yeah, because you might hear something, hey eh, like you're saying about your church things, yes, you might hear something, but. You've got to be able to say, shut up for a minute. <laughs> if you did that today, I'd be like, oh, can't believe you talked to me like that. How dare you allow a complaint? Uh, uh, yeah, yeah. yeah well, yeah, yeah, yeah. That's what goes on nowadays. Mm. And so there's something really that, that, that's that area I think we should explore more as we go through whatever we're going to get up to is like, you know, yes, it's about creating content and having a voice, but it's also knowing when to turn that voice off and, um, yeah, there's something really. Well, I, I think it's interesting, and I think there's a gap for um, us to explore. That hey, well, before we wrap up this first part, if you're yes, okay, Bruce, yeah, yes, we, we live in the same town, yes, so we're not, if you, only walking distance apart, <laughs> until you don't reply to my text messages, <laughs> I'll, I'll keep asking because we're only you leading up the life story. It's you, uh, yeah, gone through the banking. You're gonna earn four thousand six hundred and something sixty six pounds, was it? Pounds, yes. yeah. And and uh, we'll hold it there. But um, I want to talk a little bit if we fast forward to the Waioku family support. Yes. Now um, you mentioned a little bit with your uh, and I have a, a grin because you told me the story about your. You know the um, the official document, which is a piece of art. Yes, and I love that story and about how it's the roots into weaving and it's this idea for me that the picture really says a thousand words, a thousand word document. But for those who haven't come across the family support um, um, charity, is it? Yeah, Trust? it's a not for profit. Yeah, yep. yeah. Can you just give me a quick little update on what it is? And
0: has been, next year is our thirty fifth anniversary. It's been going in the town and, and it was some people in the town, as I understand it, I obviously wasn't here only been here three years, uh, that had a vision that they wanted a caring community mm. and that the problems of this community should be dealt with by the community. Mm. And so it's um, financially struggled through periods of time. Uh, it's, um, it's been it was nearly 100% volunteers for many, many years. Uh, By the time I arrived in town, it had a paid manager and that was it. The rest were all volunteers. Um, But it's providing sources of well-being, uh, not sources of well-being. We want to facilitate the process of people finding their own well-being. Because, like you said, we actually believe that everybody is already resilient. You get out of bed each day, that's an act of resilience. Mm. We're all a lot more resilient than what we comprehend. We have moments of vulnerability, and some of those moments of vulnerability can be longer periods than others. Uh, And, you know, like I said earlier, I had three years of deep, deep vulnerability. Mm. And... um, during those times you need people to offer you tools to find out which one will unlock it and re- take that vulnerability away and let the resilience take, do its own thing. Mm. So that's sort of the mantra of what we and when we were wrestling with it all, the symbol of the um, of the Waikiki family support has always been a tree with the roots in the ground and so as a new board when we started to wrestle with that and say what does it mean and I said would you trees don't grow in isolation you know they, they seriously don't because they've got to be within a bee's distance of another tree to, mm. for the, to keep the intergenerational things mm. going for trees and so we're actually part of a forest of trees, we're a tree in a forest because there's a whole lot of other outfits that work with us in this community so that's why we came up with the four trees Symbolising that there are other trees out there, it's not exclusively us, but our roots and our requiring the same nutrients intermingles with each other, mm. and if we, and that's why the intergenerational came on because I said we're we're planting the seed of that tree. I'm not going to be around to see that huge tree come to maturity if it's a karri tree. I definitely wouldn't be around to see it, mm. and it's not been morbid or anything like that. So we are. We're here for this community. That's our sole mantra. Um, and it's not about us removing power from people. It's not about the, anything like that. It's actually about providing the resources that people can take control of their own lives mm-hmm. and resource themselves until they're in a state of well being.
2: And I guess it's acknowledging the fact that life's complicated. Life it, is very complicated. For some, stop. it's a lot more complicated yeah, than others. Yeah. And you know, that's the area where I don't think our modern world has a place for those who we've forgotten about, you know? but like,
0: they're, they're, See, that goes back to my Christian beliefs. Yeah. The homeless in this town in the meth addict that I work with, mm. they're as important as anybody else in this mm. town. They're human beings and deserve the dignity of being a human, treated as a human being and a loved and cared for human being, even if they don't feel like that at times.
2: Mm-hmm. Whew, um awesome. And um okay, I'll chuck up a link and if anyone wants to check out or support the page yes. and, or the you know the, the organization. Yeah, yeah, because that's that's community eh? you know, 100%. we can we can share and um and maybe, you know, we can do a bit more of this for the community too, you know, to share our stories and, you know, like leave breadcrumbs so that you know, I like that story you kind of talked about where you thought the police officer's wife was great looking and you thought if I was a police officer I'd get a good wife too yeah. and <laughs> and sometimes it is that simple where you have these concepts where of course it doesn't make sense on paper but it gave you enough to think to I could aim for you know yeah. it's, a, it's a worthy reason to be a Richie McCaw you know not to try and treat that person like a god No, but Maybe I could be an all black, so I could have a you know good looking wife, you know something yeah, like that, yeah. eh, you know, and or I could have good friends, or you know it's part, probably why I have a podcast, so I can meet new people and have exactly. people, you know, and yeah. y- over three hundred of these, and everyone becomes my mate, you know, and will har- be. The uh, harsh reality
0: of it all is, no matter what you go into, you've got to work hard. Yeah, you know... The comps at y he the Barry who had the cute wife he we, I had many uh, in session at the station chatting with him, and he said, "You know he told me what the training school was like, and he mm. ma- no there was no illusions that mm. I was walking into a, a wonderful thing, but one of my mates who went into the army you 'll never forget he it was a Welsh family, and his mother said to us one day around there because I was going wanting to go on the police, and he was going to the army and she said, You two boys have got to remember one thing and one thing only." we said, what's that, Mrs. Williams? Uniforms attract fluff. (laughs) So, (laughs) and
2: sadly, there's a fair degree of truth in it. (laughs) That's that's the most wisdom I think I've ever heard on this podcast. Right, Bruce, we'll wrap it there for this first session. Thank you, mate. You're welcome. It's um, enjoyable. I should have read more of your book but I'm just happy that it's sitting in there waiting for me you'll get there when the time's right yeah well hopefully we can I want to record it for you in here we do the audio book yes I'm going to to give you a book to my dad he's the reader and then I'll ask him to explain it to me but uh, I've got you here anyway we'll get to that Um, okay mate well, we'll catch up again soon
0: awesome been great
1: holding my head again making my way through crowded thoughts sometimes it's hard to get out of it my heart in the dark I was just trying to feel something falling asleep to the sound of it Always used to let you clean up the mess it's down on my knees Thought I couldn't stand up on my own Turns out sometimes he's stronger alone Bringing out the fire, Yeah, bring on all the lightning Cause I'm Looking for a Inside the mirror, I find one. Oh, carry the hurt when it gets too hard Pick it up, dust it off When I fall down 11, I get up 12 Don't need nobody else Yeah, I can save myself Got burned, but I learned Our scars make us who we are Now I'm 10 feet tall over my demons Remind me no one's got me like myself, yeah, I love me without any help, I'm the best thing to believe in, so I'm bringing out the fire, bringing on all the lightning, cause i Heavy as a season, and the sun is always right behind the storm.